Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. I'd like to read a little bit for you from the book The Healing Path by Dan Allander. The Lamb of God comes to take sin and bring us hope. Hope is not an absence of sorrow, but a refusal to allow powerlessness to silence our cry or to shake our confidence in God. Instead, we are to call on God to be God, to protest his silence and anticipate the day when he speaks. And we are to risk despair by asking God to show us himself. How much easier it is to presume he will not show himself and learn to live with his absence. How much easier it is to listen for good words that speak of him but do not comfort us with with his presence or lead us forward with his promise. If we don't miss his presence or doubt his promise, then how can we have hope? Gabriel Marcel writes, by the way, Who hopes for what he already has? So in the middle of our emptiness, in the middle of our despair, in the middle of our hopelessness, that's where we can begin to look for hope. If everything goes perfect in our lives and nothing ever is difficult, will we ever hope? Gabriel writes this, By a paradox which needs surprise only the very superficial thinker, the less life is experienced as a captivity, the less the soul will be able to see the shining of the veiled, mysterious light, which we feel sure, without any analysis, illumines the very center of hope's dwelling place. The truth is that there can, strictly speaking, be no hope except when the temptation to despair exists. I'm going to read that last line again. The truth is that there can, strictly speaking, be no hope except when the temptation to despair exists. (coughs) Life is a captivity littered with disappointment and partially satisfied yearning. Captivity to a body that does not work as we wish. How many of you can relate to that? Captivity to a heart that longs for freedom to truly love, to worship from the depths of our being and does not. Captivity to the particulars of our culture, race, socioeconomic history, and era, which when we would rather be radical, world-conscious Christians. In every arena of life, I long to burst free of the constraints of my flesh, soul, and world. I can't. But to the degree I know the sorrow and despair of being held captive, the more I look forward to the bright dawn, the veiled, mysterious light that breaks into the world suddenly, swiftly, and with life-changing results. When will I see his breaking in again? When will I see his handiwork in my marriage, my relationships with my children and friends, and even more so my enemies? I have seen him redeem my soul, introduce me to my wife, set me on the course of a calling, a career, and a job. I am fortunate to recall many stories that inflame hope, but each of us needs only one Remembered story to propel us to, more, to hope for more. The questioning, yearning heart that cries out to God and refuses to let desire die knows what it is to be a captive of hope. A captive is one who suffers in hope, who hopes against hope, but in spite of it all, 
he cannot refuse to risk all for what is ahead. It's a great little quote. What I'd like you to think about today is being captive. Imagine for a moment, as you think of the Lamb of God, the first thing I think that many of us imagine or consider when we think of the Lamb of God is those captives in Egypt. They were crying out to God. They had been in Egypt for those 400 years, and their lives were miserable. It was very difficult. They were enslaved, building all these buildings for the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And as they were there, they were to cry out to God in their captivity. They wanted freedom. And so God sent them a deliverer, Moses. And as Moses is sent to them, he comes and he, he starts to speak to Pharaoh. And, and of course, you know how this goes. Suddenly their life gets worse. As we find in Exodus chapter 5, it says this. After when they left Pharaoh, okay, so the people are grumbling. They've heard the news from Pharaoh that they now needed to make bricks without him providing the straw. And life was much more difficult for them. Then they rise from Pharaoh and they go to find Moses And they said to him, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now not only are they captive and serving these other people, but their lives are now even more miserable than they were before. They were despairing. How much better it had been if God had never sent a deliverer. How much better it would have been if we weren't in this despairing spot. And you can imagine just how great their hope would be for a change. Anything you feel captive to? Anything that seems to have its hands around you that you can't break free of? Anything that makes your life difficult or miserable? Captives. In the days of Jesus, Israel is in the promised land. They are there centuries later from this story I just gave a little bit of. And in Jesus' time on earth, they were again under the authority of another. This time, they're under the authority of Rome. They long for freedom. They've been under the power of the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then others, and finally now, Rome. They sought freedom, and Jesus came to bring freedom. But not just for Israel. He brings it for the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. world. And not just freedom from the Romans, but from their sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Captives to Egypt in the past, captive to Rome, captive to their sin. Remember what Scripture says, "Whoever whoever sins is a slave to sin. To hear of forgiveness means that freedom from our captivity and our despair, that that gives us hope, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The preaching of John reminds me of what Timothy Keller speaks about in his book entitled Preaching. Preaching is to reframe the culture's questions, to reshape the culture's concerns, and to redirect the culture's hope. To reframe our questions, to reshape our concerns, and to redirect our hope. Do you think we need that? Morning. Do we need that? Yes, we need that. See, people that are are just listening can't hear you respond. They can't hear you when you do this. 
Okay. So, yes, we need these things. So the first thing we want to do is we want to start asking some different questions. As I think of reframing questions like, John, he's giving us something interesting when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world with these questions. Remember the question that was asked, or Jesus asked, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Jesus asks. It's a great question. In David Paulus's book, Good and Angry, he reminds us that God is personal, present, and active. When we do life and when those around us do life, do we think about life as people under Christ in his kingdom? Do you go through the whole day and you're thinking about, I'm living under Jesus. He gets to be king. I live under him. This is such a delight because I don't have to be in control of everything. And I love it. That's not a common refrain in your life. You don't simply go day by day saying, you know what? It's all in his power. He is personal. He's not just an idea out there. God's not just an idea. He's personal. He's involved in my life. He's present with me. I'm not encountering anything today, right now, that God doesn't already know about and he hasn't led it through his loving hands. And I, I can be involved in his activity because he's using what I'm going through right now for good to conform me to the image of Jesus. And that's what it means to live under him in his kingdom. At least that's part of it. Am I asking those questions? Who do I think he is? Who do I say that Jesus is? Or do we just kind of think of Jesus as this life insurance, but it's more like this uh, fire insurance? Jesus is just good for me when I die so I don't go to hell. Just out of curiosity, don't raise your hands. How many of us actually just live with Jesus as fire insurance rather than king of our lives? In other words, I really don't want him involved. I don't want him active. I don't want him actually... We talked about this in Bible class this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And that was the problem. How many times for us that we seem to do really well in life until the word of the Lord comes and he actually has a demand for us or he has direction for our lives and we're like, I don't really like this, God. Can't you go away? But he loves us enough to say no. Reframing our questions instead of, did my, did my financials go up this today or down? Instead of asking, Exactly what did the doctor say? Now, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But how much of our life is built on those questions? No offense to our doctors. Because ultimately, what's at the center of our lives? Another question. Remember the time when Peter is speaking and he's proclaiming to people, Pentecost is happening, tongues of fire, they're speaking all these different languages, and Peter's speaking to them and he's talking about the crucifixion, what they did, and they were cut to the heart and they said, what must I do? And I'm just going to share a few things from the scripture that says we should do. We should believe in the one he has sent. 
And when I believe in the one he has sent, do you know what it does to me? It fills me with joy. Because the one he has sent has fulfilled everything that needs to be done to make me righteous before God. It also says, repent and be baptized. In other words, change the way I think. Turn around from my self-centered, self-consuming thoughts. I was reading in this book called Forgiven from Forgiven to Forgiving. And you know, our culture is so strong. You know what it says in there, and I'm just reminded, this is what I've done wrong for a long time. How many times do we forgive not for the person's good that I'm forgiving, but for my good? It's all about me, God. It's all about me. Yeah, I'll forgive my wife as long as it makes me feel better. Now, that's a nice side effect. But if that's the purpose, then has our purpose moved beyond myself? That's pretty scary, isn't it? Yes, Yes, it is. If all I live for is for my feeling good, hmm. anybody struggle with that like I do? Because ultimately what God wants is me to forgive the offender for their good so that they can repent so that we can be reconciled and show the world the difference that God makes in our lives. Very hard to hear, isn't it? It's different than what we're used to. See, what's happening here is we're reframing the questions so that our concerns can be reshaped. Because if my concerns are only for me and my comfort and my pleasure and for things to go my way because I'm in control, then God might need to come and reshape that culture, that concern, I'm sorry. Next. So God's calling us to believe, to repent, and then to come. One of my favorite verses, which I wish I could memorize, but I'm struggling to, is John 5.39. And he says this, You diligently study, so he's speaking to the, the religious leaders, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I'm going to find life in food. I'm going to find life in entertainment. I'm going to find life in everything going my way. And Jesus says, come to me to find life in me. So that's the command. Will you come? Will you come to the table today to find life in Jesus? Will you come today to seek him, to delight in him, to find in him what you can't find in any other place? Will you come And will you come? How many of you can fit into Matthew 11, 28? All you who are weary and heavy laden. You're like, I'm weary of this message already. Okay? How many of you are weary and heavy laden? And Jesus says, come to me for rest, not to some more pills. Not to a sense of control. Come to me because I am, who am I? I'm the active, present, personal God who's working through the garbage in your life to make you more like Jesus so you can trust me more and more and more. Come to me. And then the other one he says is, follow. Which means Jesus gets to lead. 
where I lead you away from Jesus, don't follow me. Follow him. Reshaping our concerns. John doesn't come to simply build us up to keep doing the same thing over and over again, but he comes to change us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah, 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 that's fine, Jesus or John. What we really want is for the Romans to be gone and for our lives to make more sense and for us to have a more financially secure life and for things to go just the way we want them to go. The sin stuff just so happens to be our biggest need in life. Is sin a major concern? Would I know that by living with you? (laughs) Or do you kind of just blow it off and say, well, I'm living better than those other four people in my house? (laughs) Three cats and a wife. So what are our concerns? Maybe our concerns are to simply live with Jesus one day in heaven. Do you know what God's going to do when he wants to shape that concern? It's not just about dying and going to heaven. It's about how will I live under him and his kingdom today? Right? Right? What's our, what are our concerns? To be known and loved. How many of you would really like to be known fully and loved completely? Yeah, I mean, every hand shoots up. Some of you are just tired. A few of you are asleep. That's fine, okay? But to be fully known and fully loved, that's, that's a desire of ours, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't we want to know to be known fully and to be loved? We have the opportunity here at this church to do that. But you know the first step? We've got to take off like our 75 masks because otherwise people are just knowing the mask and they're not knowing me. We actually have to be vulnerable and share our lives with each other. And then what we have to do is not be shocked when other people are sinners. I can't believe it. But we can actually love them just like they are. Can you do that? Y'all still come to this church. I've been here for 12 years now. I really feel like you know me fairly well and still love me. You guys can love me. I know that sounds really arrogant. Sorry. You're just a great congregation that loves. It's not like I'm so much to love. But you guys, that's great. I love it and I enjoy it. question is, will you take some off? And can we actually not label each other and put these condescending comments and titles on one another, but just recognize that we're all... Feeble, broken people who desperately long to live in the hope we have because the Lamb of God takes our sins away. Changes our concerns. We no longer have to look perfect before others because we can just be ourselves. Redirecting our hope. Instead of hope being found in 
a political, political party or a person, instead of our hope being found in our health, instead of our hope being found in technology, in the amount of finances in the bank or other accounts, in the approval of others, or in how much I'm growing and improving. Do any of you place any hope in any of those things? Good luck if you're putting your hope in, in the approval of others. Because it just depends on if they slept and ate right and if they have too much gas and all those other things, okay? And if you're looking at your improving your performance, God doesn't tell us to reform the old man, but to put it to death. Because the old person, the old sinful flesh can't be reformed. It just can't. So it redirects our hope. It redirects our hope. You know, the most important thing it does is it redirects our hope away from ourselves to Jesus. How many of us continually put our hope on our own shoulders? I have a young, young woman that, I, that I've seen a few times, and we just talk about things, and, and I, I had her take... Because she was so bound by all these things, so I had her take her water, bo- water bottle in front of her and I had her lift it up over her head and hold it like this. And I said, now just imagine that that water bottle is the world. You sound like Atlas to me. And you're bearing the weight of the world on your shoulders. Because she was responsible for this person's faith and that person's faith and all these other issues. And she just had to run the whole world. None of you ever have those fantasies, right? (laughs) So how about redirecting our hope away from us to Jesus and then let him fill us with hope? You see, when I look to Jesus, I don't see just an abstract figure, but I see one who took on flesh to be personally involved in the lives of people who was present with all those people and continues to be present with us, interceding for us moment by moment, day by day, and he's acting in our lives for good in the midst of the struggles. Could you just say that with me? Jesus is acting acting for my good good in my trials. trials. Now, raise, raise your hands if you don't believe that's true even a little bit. Okay, since nobody's raising your hand... How can we help each other to actually live that way? How can we help each other to believe that Jesus is active, working for my good, through my trials? That's where the hope comes from, right? Jesus, in the middle of my despairing, it makes me focus more and more on what's coming ahead, the hope that's coming for me in Jesus, instead of making everything perfect now. As we look at the very end of this message, I know you're glad we're there. (laughs) Romans 8, verse 31 says these words. "What What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God 
the one that John was preaching about, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, if that one is for us, the one who defeated sin and death and the devil for you and for me, if that God is for us, you could name all sorts of different things. All these other countries, all these other health concerns, all this other stuff, all this is against us. But does any of that rank even close to Jesus? Not even close, right? Not even close. What holds you captive? Where's your hope today? I hope it's in the one who is for you. Amen?